Our scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. I invite you to read with me. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As an obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you are visiting with us this morning, we welcome you. You are our special guest, and please let us know if there's anything that we can do for you today. My name is John Turner. I'm a ministry intern here at Heartland Church of Christ, um, and the elders here of the congregation and our regular preaching minister have the courage to let me preach every once in a while, and it's a great privilege for me to do so this morning. The scripture that Tony just read from First Peter says that we are to be holy just As God is holy. Now, I don't think I have to explain how holy God is to you. But how holy do you consider yourself today? Maybe about this holy. This holy. I'm guessing most of us probably feel like we're about this holy, especially when we compare ourselves to God. But still, Peter says we are to be holy just as God is holy. Now, that's a lot to live up to. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, how on earth can we be expected to be holy just as God is holy? Now, if you're like me, which you are, you've already failed. You're not as holy as God. You've sinned. Now, you might have met somebody in your life that thinks they're as holy as God is. But I don't know about you. I've never met anybody that's as holy as God. I appreciate uh, Todd's series this month on sexual purity and focusing on purity and now this week on holiness makes the story of Ananias and Sapphira, which is in Acts chapter 5, really difficult to read. In fact, the story of Ananias and Sapphira can be quite offensive to us because it involves a swift and harsh Judgment. Now, we'll get to that story in a minute of Ananias and Sapphira, but first we kind of have to get a grasp on the context in which they come into play. When Ananias and Sapphira come into the, to the church, uh, the church looked something like this in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that amazing? What a healthy church 
this was in Acts chapter 2. Why, how did it become so holy? Do you know? Well, it's because this church had just had a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. A powerful encounter that was even prophesied by, by the prophets of the Old Testament. And Jesus, when he was alive on earth, foretold of this coming of the Holy Spirit. And it happened on the day of Pentecost, which meant that people from all over the area came to Jerusalem. The city was flooded with people. It was a perfect opportunity to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. This passage describes the first church that ever existed. And God was on an epic global mission to use this church to begin spreading the gospel to the entire world. It was an exciting and critical time for the gospel. And this church that God had unleashed on the world was devoted, united, and pure because of what the Holy Spirit was doing. Now, unfortunately, part of our story as the church has always involved some level of impurity. I mean, the church hasn't always looked like it did in Acts 2, has it? The human element has interfered with God's plans. So let's begin reading the story about Ananias and Sapphira. We'll see how that human element interferes with God's plans. This is from Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay. So what's the big deal here? I mean, isn't Ananias and Sapphira, you know, don't they have the right to keep some of the money from their sale of the land? Whatever they decide to give, that should be their decision. So what's the big deal? A few weeks ago, I was on the the front page of ESPN.com. I don't know if many of you um, go to that that website, ESPN.com, but this poll question was on the front page. Now, usually I look at these these poll questions and uh, I kind of ignore them because they're kind of silly and I don't really care. But this one really intrigued me. What do you think of Deflategate? Was it a significant act of cheating or was it no big deal? So I voted and um, by the end of the sermon you'll probably know how I voted. Um, But... America voted like this. 51% of America said that Deflategate was a significant, serious act of cheating, while 49% said that it was no big deal. Now, that's pretty split. That's almost as close as you can get right down the middle. And I thought that was a pretty accurate assessment um, from what I had heard from my circle of friends and families and what I saw on TV. um, It was pretty even. Uh, you heard people say, well, it wasn't, it's really no big deal. I mean, you know, the Patriots just blew out the Colts. Sorry, Tony. And the outcome of the game wasn't even, you know, in play. It's no big deal. It didn't affect the outcome of the game. On the other hand, you had people that said cheating, no matter how subtle and trivial, is cheating. It's, it's an unfair advantage 
and it destroys the integrity of the game. You heard that a lot. It destroys the integrity of the game. You know, and the thing about Deflategate, it really wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, the Patriots deflated their balls a little bit so that they'd be easier to throw in the cold weather, easier to catch in the cold weather. There's a lot worse things that they could have done, right? And they could have injured somebody. They could have harmed somebody to create an unfair advantage. But it really, I mean, if, if Tom Brady and Bill Belichick would have come out and said, you know what, we made a mistake, I take responsibility, then people would have probably just kind of laughed it off. They might have incurred a small fine, but life would have moved on. But instead, we got to see Bill and Tom, Tweedledee and Twiddledum, come out in front of the entire nation and plead ignorance. Uh, what's a football? Right? Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to God, or you have not lied to men, but to God. What Peter is saying is, you know what, Ananias? It's really not that big of a deal if you want to keep some of the money yourself. I mean, it was your land. You sold it, your money. You know, if you needed some of it for yourself, we could handle that. But don't come and lie to me about it. Don't come and lay half the money at my feet and say it's all the money when you're hoarding the rest of it underneath your mattress at home. That is not only selfish and dishonest, but it is destroying the integrity of the church. Destroying this spirit-filled community and destroying God's grand mission to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So what all of a sudden seemed like no big deal just turned into a big deal, right? You see, Peter and the rest of the community were described as one in heart and mind. They had everything in common with glad and sincere hearts. Peter was not going to let this go, and neither was God. Peter understood that the mission of God was too important. The Holy Spirit from God was too strong here to just simply disregard it. And the holiness of the church was too important. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you paid, that you and Ananias got for the land? Uh, Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out too. At that moment... She fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. 
Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, let's be honest. This makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable. We want to emphasize with Ananias and Sapphira. They seem like they have good intentions and they want to contribute to the church. But what seems like no big deal on the surface is really corrupting and destroying the integrity of the church. Just like Deflategate destroyed the integrity of the game. Just like cheating on and lying to your spouse destroys the integrity of your marriage. Just like cheating on a test destroys the integrity of and the quality of your education. But God was on an epic mission, remember, to use this church as his partner in changing the world. He couldn't let somebody destroy the integrity of this church. Now, to help us understand how God feels about his church, there are two other illustrations in the New Testament, besides Ananias and Sapphira. The first is how a husband feels about his wife. And the second is how Jesus feels about little children. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 28, the Apostle Paul tells husbands to love their wives like Christ loves the church. Husbands, he says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This scripture describes the church as the bride of Christ. Christ regards the church as holy, without blemish, blameless. For the husbands out there, how did you feel about your wife on your wedding day? How would you feel if somebody tried to insult your wife or somehow get in in between you two? Corrupt your relationship. Corrupt the commitment that you have between the two of you. How would that make you feel? You see, that's how God feels when somebody tries to get in the way of him and the church. Tries to separate the two. God loves the holiness of his church and he is rightfully protective of and jealous for. His beautiful, pure, and holy bride, his church. This is why God is so swift and and fast with his judgment against Ananias and Sapphira. Because of his love for the church. The second illustration is that of Jesus' love for little children. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 2. Jesus said to his disciples, The things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. Now, that's pretty extreme. Wrap a big stone around somebody's neck and throw them into the sea. 
That's pretty extreme. But we get a sense of God's characteristics through Jesus' words here, don't we? We can see that God is a very protective God. And he detests those who attempt to corrupt what is holy. So think about the children of this church. Maybe they're your own children. How would it make you feel if somebody tried to kidnap those children or try to corrupt them? That's how God feels when somebody tries to harm his children. God is a protective God, protective of his children. Our God is a mama bear God, right? So we can see, once again, why God was so swift and harsh with his judgment on Ananias and Sapphira. He is both a proud husband and a protective mama. Another reason why we find the story of Ananias and Sapphira um, so offensive, I think, is because of the culture that we live in. The so-called tolerant culture that we live in. The worst traits somebody can have in our culture today is a judgmental attitude. Now, I agree. I, I don't like judgmental attitudes either. And I think we should definitely leave the judging up to God. But with such an emphasis these days on being non-judgmental and, and letting everybody just kind of do as they plead, you know, whatever's good in their eyes is good for them. Sometimes it might be easy to, to forget that judgment still exists, that there is somebody with the authority to judge. fact this judgment might have been expected the same the very same peter who witnessed the death of ananias and sapphira wrote this in second peter chapter two for if god did not spare angels when they sinned but sent them to hell putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people but protected noah a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to, to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. You see, God has always taken action when he feels like he needs to in order to protect what is holy in his eyes. He protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and he rescued Lot, a righteous man. And he brings judgment to those who try to corrupt what is righteous and holy. He protects those who he loves and whom he regards as holy. Okay, John, so what are you getting at here? We understand that God thinks we're holy. But 
I still don't really feel that holy. What's going on with that? Well, thanks for reminding me. When it comes to the human race, there is consistency throughout Scripture on how one becomes holy. The Scripture that Tony read earlier uh, from 1 Peter, it was also quoted by Peter. It originally came from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Now, God has a lot to say in Leviticus about holiness, including chapter 22, verses 32 through 33. Here God says, do not profane my holy name. I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who makes you holy and who brought you out of Egypt to be God. I am the Lord. Did you catch that? The Lord claims that he is the one that makes us holy. Can you believe that? I mean, doesn't he know that we're perfectly capable of being holy on our own? I mean, can you believe this guy, God? He thinks he's the one who makes us holy. Actually, if there's one thing we should learn about trying to be holy on our own, it's that we fail. We miss the mark, which is the definition of sin, to miss the mark. We all fail. We all sin. Now let's look at the New Testament. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. When you were dead in your sins. Now last time I checked, dead is the worst it gets. There's nothing worse than being dead. So when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us. And that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Once again, God made us alive. How did he do it? With Christ. God made us alive with Christ. He made us pure and holy. We make our appeal to Jesus when it comes to our own holiness. Now, right after Peter implores us to be holy because God is holy, he says this. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially. Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. If we could make ourselves holy, if we could do that on our own with what we do and what we say, then Jesus would not have had to been perfect without blemish or defect. God makes us holy through the pure and holy lamb so you've heard the good news this morning that jesus saves that you are made holy with jesus christ how will you respond when a husband tells his wife that she is the most beautiful woman in the world how does that make her feel 
How does she respond? Some of the conversations at home after this, I'd like to hear. Um, do you think I'm the most beautiful girl in the world? Because your wife or your girlfriend, she probably doesn't think that she's the most beautiful girl in the world. And probably nobody else in the world thinks that she's the most beautiful girl in the world. But her husband does. And how does she respond? She is more devoted to her husband, more committed to her husband, and more faithful to her husband. She would follow him wherever he goes. Likewise, we should be more committed to God, more devoted to God, more faithful to God. And we should want to follow him wherever he goes. Because you know what? God really believes that we are holy. You might not think that you're holy. Other people certainly don't think that you're holy. But God does. And that should at least give us the desire to be holy. That should at least give us the desire to please God. To follow Jesus. I think that is what what Peter had in mind. When he said, be holy, we should have the desire. Because God thinks that we're holy. How will you respond? If you would like to become a part of this church that God is so protective of and jealous for, you can do that today. We will add you to that church. We will baptize you today. That's the way they did it. In the New Testament, Jesus was baptized. If you need the prayers of the congregation, if you need help, that's what we're here for. So how will you respond? We're about to sing a song. If you want to be baptized and added to that holy church that I'm so happy and proud to be a part of, you may come forward as we sing this next song. Please stand. Come.